Uh, today's reading comes from Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. Uh, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir to the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs of faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the ones who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you father of many nations. In the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he has been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God fully conceived that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It was to be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for us our trespasses and raised for our justification. Amen. Thank you, Jason. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bible and open up to Romans chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 13 in just a minute. If you are a guest, maybe visiting with us, we're walking through the book of Romans over the next year or so together and kind of just walking verse by verse and taking what comes next and we're reading through the book of Romans together. So if you're not uh, kind of following along in the reading plan, I encourage you to pick one of those up. They're available online. You can follow on your app or we have some paper copies, but man, it would really help you a lot as you come in here on Sunday mornings having already read what we're going to teach through. I think it would help you a ton and as we walk through Romans together. So I encourage you to be doing that this morning. Uh, Romans uh, chapter 4, again beginning around verse 13. I want to set up, gonna set up what we're going to look at this morning this way. Uh, the book, uh, the dictionary, Webster's Dictionary defines a role model like this. That a role model is a person looked to by others as an example to be imitated. A role model is a person that we look to kind of as, a, as an example, a living example to be imitated. And the reality is for you and me, for all of us, we all need healthy role models. I am who I am in many ways as a husband and a follower, a father and a Jesus follower and all that because I've had healthy role models in my life. Many of you in this room have been those healthy role models to me and to us and my family. When Jennifer and I were first married 23, 23 years ago, I got that one, 23 years ago, uh, we were like a lot of newlyweds. We were kind of overwhelmed with this marriage thing and dirt poor and we, we didn't know anything about marriage and we were part of this church for a couple years early in our marriage and God uh, we did what a lot of newlyweds do we got into a newlywed group with a whole lot of other poor clueless and overwhelmed newlyweds in a group together so we could all be that together I guess but as a part of that group there were some role models in there as well there were some older couples that we were able to look to as examples and understand not only what the Bible says about marriage, but watch it lived out in the lives of somebody. It's a role model. That's an example. We need that. 
The business world has understood that idea of role models. The business world has what's called interns. Interns that you can come and learn a profession and learn a trade by watching others. Sports world understands that. Younger athletes look to older athletes, more mature, to kind of learn the sport. And we understand the idea of role models. That's a huge part of discipleship for us. One of the blessings of being a part, and we talked a lot this morning about the family of faith here, but one of the gifts of a family like this is the diversity of ages and that we're a multi-generational congregation. you got folks from birth all the way up through death, 70, 80 years old. you got the span of life here. You have the opportunities to learn from healthy, godly examples here in this church. It's one of the gifts of being a part of a family of faith. It's one of the reasons, in fact, we do something called life groups in our church, and they're not age-graded. In other words, you might be in a life group, and you may be 60, and you may be in a life group with a 20-year-old. We think that's a good thing. We can learn from one another and healthy role models and examples. Reality in our life is we need living, healthy examples as we learn and as we grow. Now, I say all that this morning to kind of create a little bit of tension in our minds, the idea of a role model of an example, because in Romans chapter 4, God in His grace and His goodness and Paul has decided to give us a role model, to give us an example, not just lay out propositional truth about faith, but to take a man named Abraham and look back over his life And help us to see, okay, what does it look like for a person to live out this thing called faith? We introduced Abraham last week, the father of faith he's called, the father of the Jewish nation. He's introduced back in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis chapter 12 introduces this man called Abraham. And Paul uses him here as an example for us as faith. Now remember, the Bible says a whole lot about walking by faith. For us as followers of the Lord Jesus, the Bible has much to say about walking by faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, We walk by faith, not by sight. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in this flesh, I live by faith. The Son of God who loved me. 1 Timothy 6, Paul says, we are to fight the good fight of faith. Hebrews 11, a really challenging verse. Hebrews eleven six 6 says this, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So the Bible says a ton about this propositional reality or this thing called faith. But in Romans chapter 4... We have a model or an example of a man who walked by faith. And let's be honest, if you know anything about Abraham, he didn't walk, a lot, he didn't walk by faith perfectly. I mean, he had tons of bumps and bruises, and he had tons of wavering in and out of this thing called faith. But we have an example to say, okay, what does it look like over the long haul of our lives to walk by faith? And Abraham, we introduced him last week. Now we saw that Abraham first, and this is just a little bit of review, that Abraham was an example of, remember the question of the book of Romans is how is a person made right with God? 
How can a person go from being an unrighteous person under the wrath of God, condemned because of our sin, to being in right relationship with God, being righteous before God? Abraham was our example, and this is our big truth from last week, that God justifies the ungodly on the basis of faith alone. Faith alone. And if you forget that little phrase, faith alone, we've given you a little help up here, so you'll never forget that little phrase, faith alone. Now, Abraham was an example of that. Paul goes all the way back in Genesis to say that's the way God has always justified the ungodly, based on faith alone. In fact, we get that from Romans chapter 4, verse 3. Paul's quoting Genesis, but he says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And just a little review from last week, Abraham was made right with God. Abraham was declared righteous before God. Abraham was in right standing before God, not because of his heritage, not because he was a Jew, not because he kept the law, not because of the covenant of circumcision. Abraham was justified before God on the basis of faith alone. The Bible declares that. But then Paul in chapter 4 of Romans wants to take that a step further and say, okay, this kind of faith, this saving faith, if you will, or biblical faith, it's described here in Romans 4, it's also a living faith. It's a faith that's lived out. It's not a single act in a person's life. This kind of faith is a continual posture of deep dependence and trust in God and His grace. In other words, The person who's made right by faith is going to continue to live by faith. The person who's been declared righteous is going to walk this life of faith in this continual posture before God of deep dependence on God and His grace and His word and His promises. That's the way we live our lives. We walk by faith. We walk by, not by sight, not always by what makes sense, not always by the circumstances that are around us, not by public opinion, not what our heart tells us to do, God forbid. But we walk by faith in what God has said and what God declares to be true. Say, okay, Pastor Mike, I, I get that. I know. But what does that look like? Abraham helps us gives us an example to follow and to kind of look at. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through these verses and going to pull out some big ideas that kind of flow out of that big truth. And I think it's going to be really helpful and practical for all of us this morning. So let's pick back up verse 13 of Romans. We continue on. The Apostle Paul writes and he says, For the promise to Abraham and to his offspring that... He would be heir of the world. Now stop right there. If you're not overly familiar with the promise made to Abraham, the the faith of this man Abraham that we read about in the book of Genesis was founded on a promise that God made to him. Paul describes this promise here that he would be heir of the world. What does that mean? Hang with me. Verse 13, he says, this promise that came from God did not come through the law. In other words, Abraham did not appropriate this promise that God made because he was 
good enough or kept the law or been obedient enough. And God said, okay, Abraham, I'm really proud of what you've done. You've done such a good job. Now I'm going to give this promise to you of a son, of an heir, of a kingdom. I'm going to give you this promise based on what you've done. No, no, no. Paul says it's not based on what Abraham had done. It's based, verse 13, through the righteousness of faith. End of verse 13. Abraham is going to be the, the recipient. He's going to receive this incredible promise of God based not on what he had done or could ever do, but based on faith and faith alone. Verse 14. For if it is the adherents of the law, or those who follow the law, keep the law, Jews, who are to be the heirs, heirs of this promise, then faith is null and the promise is void. In other words, if you can experience the promises that God has for his people based on your earnings, based on your merit, then what's the point of faith? That's what Paul's saying. So Abraham's faith was rooted in a promise that God had made to him. Now, let me just sake of review, and this is going somewhere, so hang with me. What does it mean that the promise of God to Abraham was that he would be the heir of the world? Pastor Mike, I remember that promise that God made to Abraham. And if I'm not mistaken, it was maybe Genesis 12 somewhere, and God promised Abraham a son, right? Isaac. And yeah, yeah, Abraham was this old guy. He was like 75 years old, and his wife was barren. She couldn't have a baby. And, and God made this crazy promise to this very unlikely couple that they were going to have a son. Yes. But the promise was a whole lot more than just a son. Now stay with me. I'm going, to read the, I'm going to read the promise as God gave it to Abraham again out of Genesis 12, 2 and 3. It's more than just a son that God is promising to Abraham. Verse 2 of Genesis 12. It'll be on the screen. He says, and I will make you a great nation. More than just a son. And I will bless you and I will make your name great, Abraham. This is God speaking to Abraham. So that you will be a blessing. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. In other words, the promise to Abraham, you've got to get this this morning because this is going to have huge implication for you in just a minute. The promise to Abraham that Abraham entered in by faith was not just for a son. Paul understands it here. Genesis understands it here as the promise of a son and then from that son would, become, would come descendants and descendants and descendants and a great nation. And from that great nation is one day going to come a Messiah, a king. And that king one day is going to have a kingdom. And all that is rooted here in the promise of Genesis 12. This is where throughout the Old Testament, even over into the New Testament, there's the promise of a Messiah who one day is going to come and he's going to establish his kingdom on earth and he's going to make all that's messy, he's going to clean it all up and he's going to establish his perfect kingdom one day. And Abraham is saying, okay, who gets to experience that promise of a king and of a kingdom? And Abraham says, it's by faith. And Paul says, it's by faith. And oh, by the way, Jesus says it's by faith. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Now that you get into this promise of this kingdom by faith, this king who is coming, and we know that to be a Messiah, Abraham's faith 
was rooted in the promise, yes, of a son, but even greater of a greater son, a king that was coming, and a kingdom that was going to be established. And Abraham knew he had a place in that kingdom. Watch. Not because he was a Jew, not because he kept the promises, not because he was circumcised, because he believed God. And he took God at his promise. Abraham walked this life of faith in anticipation and trust of the promises that were going to be fulfilled. Watch. Not just of a son, but of a king and a kingdom that would come. What does that practically mean in the life of Abraham? I'm going to give you an example, and then I'm going to make it really practical for all of us. So Abraham, if you're waiting for that kingdom, Abraham, if your life is lived waiting for the day that that king is going to come, and he's going to establish it, what did that look like for you, Abraham? Hebrews 11, 8 through 10. You don't have to look it up. It'll be on the screen. This is Abraham, an example for us of walking by faith. Verse 8 says, by faith Abraham obeyed. He obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Why well, that make any sense? God called Abraham to do something crazy, something radical. God's word was very clear to Abraham. Leave Ur, your home, your comforts, where everything's stable, where you know everybody. Everybody knows you. You grew up there. You've gone to school there. Your whole life you know everybody, Abraham. He said, you're going to leave. I'm going to call you away from there. He said, I'm going to call you to a place that you don't even know yet. Verse 9 says, by faith he went to live in the land of promise, that's Canaan, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. He went there, and the Bible says he lived in tents. Why is that a big deal? In other words, Abraham lived in this land, which was a, the, the land of Canaan, but Abraham understood this land is not my ultimate home. Now watch. So he lived in the land of Canaan. Says he lived as a foreigner kind of passing through. He lived there in tents with Isaac and Jacob and all the patriarchs. In other words, Abraham lived looking ahead and Abraham did not believe this world was his final home. He did, not, he did not live as if this world were not passing away. He enjoyed the pleasures of this world. He had the gifts of this world, but he knew this world was not his ultimate home and he lived that way. Abraham, how were you able to live that way in this world? Verse 10, watch this. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. I'm going to give you a few big ideas that flow out of these verses. And here's one that's incredibly practical for you and me. If you look at the faith of Abraham, Abraham went to the land of promise, Canaan, that God had promised him. But he knew the promise was much greater of an eternal kingdom. And he was able to live the life that he lived as a citizen of an ultimate kingdom. And it drove his decisions. And it drove his priorities. And it drove what was important to him. Here's your first big idea. Faith lives today assured of what the future will be. Faith lives in this world today with an expectancy of a future kingdom that's much greater than the world today. I love this verse in Hebrews 11.10. It says, Abraham was looking by the faith 
Now the eye of faith, Abraham lived in the land of Canaan. He lived in tents. He lived a simple life. He had some pleasures of the world, but he knew that was not his ultimate home because through the eye of faith, he was looking for a kingdom, a city that had foundations whose designer and builder is God. Oh, by the way, that is the way God calls you and I to live by faith today. Because the temptation and the pull and the draw of our flesh and the draw of this world that you live in is everything you see, is everything there is. Life is in the now. Life is in this world. Live it up today for tomorrow you die. Everything you see is that this world is your home. You need to get more. You need to have more. You need to, st- you need to live as though this world is all that there is. That's the message you're immersed in. The message of the Bible is this. You are citizens of a greater kingdom and Abraham made his decisions and Abraham set his priorities and Abraham lived his life the Bible says with his eye fixed on the city that was coming whose architect and builder were God Jesus is better (laughs) the kingdom is better That has immense applications to your life and my life of the way we live now. Because you live in a culture that says what you see is ultimate. In this world is ultimate. I read an incredible quote just a few days ago. This was so convicting to me. This was a quote from a group of Chinese believers who in China are facing persecution because of their faith. And we're talking real persecution that they might not come home. And this Chinese believer wrote this quote and he said, We believe we, the Chinese Christians, are handling our persecution better than you, Western Americans, are handling your prosperity. Wow. The point is, too many of us, and me included, fall into the lie of the world that this world is all that there is. And Paul says we don't walk by sight we don't walk by what we can see yes we have things God gives us things to enjoy all that in this world we we live in this world we live on mission in this world we live to make Jesus known in this world but this world is not your home there's a greater world and by faith we walk by faith in the now knowing for sure what's coming that's the example of Abraham let me give you some examples of the way this plays out in your mind in our lives on a daily basis We live as strangers in this present world. We're just passing through because we know we are citizens of a greater kingdom. Paul, Philippians chapter 3 says this. Those who don't know Christ, their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. You, by faith, who's placed faith in Jesus Christ, you have a citizenship in heaven forever and ever and ever as a child of God. Your citizenship is in a greater kingdom. By faith. You don't see it, it's not there yet, but it affects the way you live now. We face suffering. 
Listen, this world's a mess, right? This world's not perfect. There's things that have entered your life this week that you didn't expect. There's things that have not played out the way you thought. There's physical challenges, medical challenges, relational challenges, all these things. Some of us in this room are facing some serious suffering. Some of you in this room are suffering in different ways. How do we as believers face suffering in light of this? Paul helps us. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. There's suffering now in this present world, but there's glory coming when we get home. Therefore, it shapes the way we walk through by faith. It shapes the way we make our decisions to say that this world is not our home. Over the next couple months, we as a church are going to send out two families, the Hearts and the Beverlies, that are going to leave the comforts of the United States of America, and they're going to go, one in Europe, the other a place in Asia, and they're going to leave all the comforts and all the things of this comfortable United States of America and plant their lives for the advancement of the gospel. How does a family do that? The same faith of Abraham to say, you know what, this world is not my home. (laughs) I'm serving the king who will call me home one day to my, his eternal, to my eternal place with him. I'm just passing through this world. First Peter said you're like an alien and a stranger. Just passing through this world. You're not home. Abraham had his eyes fixed on a city that has foundations whose designer and builder was God. There's more and more examples we can give there. But we'll move on to the next one. So Abraham... His walk of faith was characterized by realizing this world is not home. He was looking for the greater kingdom, the coming kingdom of his Lord. Big idea number two, I'll give you this one. We'll go on down to verse 16. It's this, that faith continually, this kind of faith that we see here, it continually rests in the grace of God. This kind of faith that we describe here, it continually rests in the grace of God. Look at verse 16 again. That is why, Paul says, it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. What does that mean? The the faith that we have, the faith that is a gift from God, is completely and wholly and totally dependent upon the grace of God. It's dependent upon God in an unmerited, undeserved way, doing what he said he would do. Not because we deserve it, but because he's gracious. Our faith is completely dependent upon, just like how we came to know Christ, we are dependent upon the grace of God, that by grace, God sent the Lord Jesus Christ. God graciously laid your sin and my sin upon the Lord Jesus Christ. God graciously raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. God graciously imputes righteousness to us based on faith. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. It is the gracious gift of God. You and I live this walk of faith in desperate daily dependence upon the grace of God. How do we we grow as believers? The Bible says it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's grace. God is doing things in your life today not because you've deserved them, not because you earned them, because he's gracious. He's at work in your life, conforming you and molding you into Christ's likeness. Be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, 2 Timothy 2 says. How do we know we're going to be glorified one day and God is going to finish what he began? Grace. 
Philippians says, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in Christ Jesus. Because I deserve it, because I earn it, because of grace. Moment by moment, our head, we wake up in the morning, we put our feet on the floor, we are dependent upon grace, God keeping His promise, doing in our lives what He promised He would do. We're like a windmill. <laughs> this, is bit, this illustration, I don't know if this illustration works for you, but you, you know, a windmill. So, our family was coming back from California one time. We were coming back to Vegas where we lived, and we drove through this valley down in Southern California. And you, you cross the hill, and down in this valley were just these massive windmills everywhere, just massive structures. And man, when those things are turning, they're generating electricity, and they're generating power, and it's an incredible sight to see to watch those things. But here's the kicker. Those massive things are completely dependent upon the wind. You live moment by moment completely dependent upon God to do what He said He's going to do in your life, to keep His promise, and He does it by grace. Now listen, you say we live completely dependent upon the grace of God. That's what Paul said here. Abraham lived completely dependent upon the grace of God. Watch this. As a believer in Christ, there is never a moment you will live apart from the grace of God. Ever! You say, what if I blow it? The grace of God is not based on your merit or your works or what you do or you don't do. It's based on Him who is a gracious God who extends His grace to you. You never live a moment apart from the grace of God, but you live every moment deeply dependent upon His grace. That's the walk of faith. God, you must keep your promises. God, I'm trusting you to do what you said you're going to do. Why? Because I earned it? No, because of grace. That's the way we live our lives. Now watch this. It doesn't stop there. In other words, the life of Abraham is a picture, and we see that he is he, faith continually rests. Continually rests in the grace of God, but don't stop there or you'll have a jaded view of grace and a jaded view of faith. Here's, here's big idea number three. Not only does faith continually rest in the grace of God, watch this, faith continually pursues the God of grace. Abraham's life was not one of passivity. Abraham's life was not just one of, you know, sitting over twiddling stuff. Abraham was a man that pursued the God of grace. He knew he'd been transformed by faith alone. He knew he'd been made righteous. But at the same time, he pursued this God of grace. What does that look like? Verse 18. In hope, he, Abraham, believed against hope. In other words, remember, God made this promise that a son, kingdom, all that. When Abraham was 75 years old, he was old. There was no expectation, humanly speaking, that he could even have a child with each passing day, with each passing week. It's hope against hope. It doesn't make human sense. He goes on and says that he should become the father of many nations. And as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Verse 19, he did not weaken in faith. There was huge temptation to weaken in faith. You know why? Look in verse 19. When he considered his own body. <laughs> Gets up every morning out of bed and puts his feet down. His body's aching. His knees are cracking. All that. He, he, he's getting old. And each passing day, Lord, are you, are you going to be able to keep this promise? I'm an old man getting older by the day. 
everything in his circumstances appeared as if God were not going to be able to keep the promise. Let me tell you something. That will be your life. There will be those seasons, and you're in them now. If you're not, you'll be going in them. That you're holding on to the promises of God, and you're holding on to the Word of God, and what He has declared to be true, and everything in your life is going to look the exact opposite, and all you have to hold on to is, well, it doesn't make sense. The world is not in line with it. Nobody else is telling me this, but God has said it in His Word. Oh, there's no way you're going to be able to keep this promise. He faced that every day. That's why he says this. He considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he's about 100 years old. That's kind of funny. Since he was 100 years old, that's old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. I mean, he didn't have to get out of bed. He just rolled over and looked at Sarah. He was barren. How's this going to work, Lord? This doesn't make any sense. Verse 20, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. Do you love that? You say, wait a minute, Mike, I've read a little bit about Abraham. I think he had some problems. I mean, I think he wavered here and there. There were some times he kind of went in and out. He made some decisions that were not God's best, not God's will. What does it mean he doesn't waver? It seems that what Paul is communicating here are not the specifics in the moment, but the big picture overall that the faith that began endures to the end. The faith that God begins endures to the end. And you see that in the life of Abraham even when it didn't make sense, even when the promises of God didn't seem to calculate with what he understood in his common thinking. But, verse 20 says, he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Abraham grew. Abraham grew in his understanding of who God was and who God is. Abraham grew in his pursuit as he pursued God. He rested in the grace of God, yes, but he pursued the God of grace. There was an active, daily love relationship that that Abraham developed with his God. And as he come to know the character of God and the promises of God and what God has said, his faith grew stronger and he come to depend on God and lean on God. I mean, conversations all the time, you hear these conversations all the time. Pastor Mike, my faith's just weak. I'm just struggling with doubts and unbelief and all that. And I want to say, are you daily bathing your mind and your heart in the truth of who God has declared himself to be. Well, no, I've kind of strayed from that, but I'm trying to walk by faith. Listen, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Your faith is going to grow stronger, not as you focus on faith, but as you focus on God and who he is in a dynamic, daily, growing, intimate, personal relationship with God. James 2 calls Abraham the friend of God. Abraham walked with him. Abraham spent time with him. And Abraham grew to trust him more and more and more. 
Listen, there's a dynamic that happens in our life as we pursue who God is. And as a church here, that's why we walk through books of the Bible like Romans. And that's why we encourage you to be reading through books of the Bible like Romans and be a part of something called a study group where you engage your mind in the study of who God is so that you can be a man or a woman who walks by faith rooted in who God is, not wafting in and out by the circumstance. Tim Keller said this, I thought it was a very helpful quote. He says, Abraham gives us an example. He says, this shows that faith is not the absence of thinking, but rather a profound insistence on acting out of measured reflection instead of just reacting to the circumstances. What does that mean? Abraham pondered and considered the power of God. Abraham studied, Abraham pursued, Abraham meditated, Abraham spent time with God, and over time his understanding of who God was grew and grew and grew, and he made life decisions from that. He set priorities from that he saw him circumstances based on that of who God was. How do you know? Look in verse 21. Fully convinced was Abraham over time as he grew. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. I can trust you. Circumstances don't look like it. Circumstances don't match up. I don't know how it's all going to play out. But I have sought you, I have pursued you, the God of grace, and I have come to find, I have grown in my understanding, my pondering, my thinking of who you are, and my life is shaped by my understanding of who you are. It's faith. Faith rests on the grace of God, yes, but faith pursues the God of grace in a growing, dynamic relationship with this God. Final one, let me honor your time. We're, uh, big idea number four is this. So not only is faith focused on the future reality of what God's declared to be true, faith rests in the grace of God. Faith pursues the God of grace. Number four, faith has as its object the God who gives life to the dead. Oh, this is so good, brothers and sisters. So go back to verse 16, I'm going to read verse 16 and 17, then jump and finish the, the chapter here. So it says, this is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all its offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, skip on down verse 17, as it is written, I have made you, God speaking to Abraham, the father of many nations, in the presence of the God. Now watch this. Paul's going to give two descriptors of this God that, that our faith is in. He says, in the God who calls or gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. That is awesome. Paul says, Abraham's faith and your faith and my faith is set in the God who gives life to the dead and the God who can call something into existence that prior to that didn't even exist. That's who our faith is in. It says our faith is in the God who spoke and the universe came into existence. He's harkening back, you know, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. In the original translation, I love it, the original language, it says, And God said, light be, and light was, out of nothing. 
That's the God who your faith is in, by the way. The God who can bring something out of nothing. He says the God who can bring life from the dead. The object of our faith is in the God who brought a child, Isaac, from a 100-year-old man and a woman with a barren womb. That's the God who can bring life from the dead. And by the way, the picture of Sarah's womb being dead is a picture of a tomb that from a tomb comes life. That's the picture. And then Paul takes that analogy and he continues on. He says, the hope of your justification and my justification, the hope of a future kingdom, and the hope that God will keep his promise is in a God who can bring something out of nothing and a God who can bring life from the dead. Who is this God? Keep reading verse 19. He, Abraham, did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, or when he considered the bareness of Sarah's room. Read on down to verse 23. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. The story of Abraham is not there just for Abraham, it's for us. Paul says the story is given for us that we'll know some realities about this God in whom our faith is. Verse 24, but for ours also it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and that word delivered up is the activity not of Pilate not of the Romans the activity of God God delivered up his son for our justification who delivered who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised up for our justification Paul says listen your faith is in the God who brought something out of nothing. Your faith is in the God who brings life from the dead. And the ultimate picture of God's promise keeping is that his son bore our sin, went into the grave, and God brought life from the tomb. Jesus rose from the dead. And the application of that in our life is immense. The God that you walk by faith and the promises that you hold to in this life of faith is is rooted in the promises of God. Our faith is as sure as the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. Our justification, our declared righteousness is as sure as the resurrection of Jesus. The fact that he will finish the sanctification work in you, he will continue to work in you and make you more and more like Jesus, is as sure as the resurrection of Christ. Your future glory, the place you have in future kingdom, is as sure as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every promise in this book is as sure as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because our faith is in the God who declares something to come out of nothing and can bring life from the dead. And by the way, when we go to make known the gospel and we go to share Jesus with others, we're sharing with a dead sinner just like we were. But remember, the gospel is the power of God to bring those who are dead to life. That's why Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our faith is in the God who brings life from the dead. Aren't you glad? We're justified, made right with God on the basis of faith alone. But this faith continues on until the end. And this faith rests in the grace of God. This faith pursues the God of all grace. And ultimately our faith rests in the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ himself. Hallelujah. What a Savior.
You bow your head with me this morning. We're going to enter into what we call a time of response. I'll invite the team to come on up. We're going to stand and sing in just a minute. But let me, let me just say it this way. If you're here this morning, I'm going to encourage you in this way. How, how do we respond to this this morning? How do we respond to the truth of God's Word? You may be here this morning and you realize that you have never placed faith. You've never been made right with God based on faith alone. You've tried to make yourself right with God through your works, through your church activity, through your good deeds, through your background, through your heritage, through your bad, all those things. And this morning, maybe for the first time you've realized, wait a minute, it's by faith and faith alone in Christ and Christ alone. Jesus has done it all, brothers and sisters. He's done everything necessary for you to be made right with God. Ours is to trust. Ours is to Believe in the promises of God. If you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ, the message of the Bible to you is to repent of trusting in yourself, repent of your sin, and believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ and who Christ is. This morning you don't know Christ, right there in your seat, just call out to Him in faith. Lord, I need you. God, forgive me. I need a Savior. And we stand and sing in just a moment. The team has already made their way out to the hub. They are people there right now that would love to meet with you and pray with you and answer any questions you have about a relationship with Christ. And we stand in just a minute. Right when we stand, you can go right out there and meet with somebody this morning. Or if you just need to pray with somebody. Pastor Mike, my face struggling. Things seem so dark. I just need to pray with someone. There's people there at the hub, right through these doors to the left. They'll pray with you this morning. And for the rest of us, pray that we have an act of faith. We We rest in the grace of God. But Lord, by your grace, we pursue this great God of grace. Lord, help us to pursue you in faith. Lord, help us to rejoice in who you are and what you've done. And Lord, I pray you send us out to make you known. We need you. We rejoice in who you are. And Lord, we give our lives to you. And your kingdom calls. In Jesus' great name we pray. Amen.